the scripture for this morning is Philippians chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 12. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Faye. For some reason, there's been a problem all week with uh, some confusion about what the scripture was going to be. It's been uh, 12 to 16, and it's been uh, 8 to 12, it's been 7 to 12, it's been all over the place. So I'm not sure what God is saying to us by all that confusion. But uh, Faye read the seventh verse, which uh, you notice up here we have 8 to 12. The seventh verse verse is a key to this and uh, scripture, and I'll be getting into that into a moment. I did want to announce to you, I had, have an idea, uh, Lent is coming up, the 40 days of Lent, and usually we suggest ways that people can uh, observe Lent. It's a time of fasting and prayer and repentance. And uh, so a lot of times we develop little disciplines or things maybe as a congregation we're going to do. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about, because uh, I know Facebook is for old people primarily nowadays, you know, uh, you know and uh, there's uh, uh, Twitter and a lot of other things out there now. But in general, when I was thinking about fasting, uh, in order to avoid the idea of fasting from food, which is really hard, but fa- fasting from Facebook is hard. And I know from time to time I'll read about uh, somebody uh, saying, I'm getting off of Facebook for a while. Uh, people in our church have done that and all. And I thought, what a great, great thing if we had a campaign during Lent to leave Facebook and to face the book, the book, the Bible, and to spend the time that we spend on Facebook, perhaps in the book of Acts, in, um, in Philippians, in James, in the Psalms, and to, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of working on that to challenge us to do that. I know, I know the question comes, what am I going, what am I going to do when I come back? There's going to be all this stuff and I'll have to catch up, you know, with it. But I've learned you don't really have to catch up, uh, with it. And I try to spend just a few minutes, as few minutes as possible a day with Facebook. I look for birthdays, for people who have prayer requests. But also from time to time, I see the dark side of Facebook. <laughs> and I see sometimes there's a, uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, discussion that at times gets a little heated. And uh, not just uh, with people in this church, but I see it all over the place and in groups that I'm part of. So I think it would be maybe uh, a healthy thing to remove ourselves from that for, for a while. Let your people know that you're going to be off during Lent and you won't be alone I'm sure many other people will do that and take some time just to meditate on God's word and let God speak to us rather than our Facebook friends or enemies, as the case may be. Um, 
we do have every week a poll that goes into the uh, weekly uh, email newsletter that goes out on generally on Wednesdays. And from time to time, I want to uh, uh, I, I share that with you. Uh, probably not enough. Uh, this past week, we had 50, 55 people respond to that poll. So that was a large number. And um, it's always interesting to see the folks who uh, get the answer. It's really, this is a uh, multiple uh, choice uh, question here. But as we begin a sermon series in Philippians, which of the following is not true? So this would have been from the week before. Uh, the church at Philippi was the first Christian community in Greece. That's true. The first church in Greece was in Philippi, who Paul was writing to. Uh, second choice was Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison. And that's true. Which makes it all the more remarkable because people love Philippians because it has this really uh, uh, positive uh, sort of uh, thing to it. And Paul is just so excited to be in jail where he's able to share the gospel with the people there in Rome, his jailers and his uh, those who have imprisoned him. And if he wasn't in jail, he wouldn't have had that opportunity to bring the gospel to Rome. In other words, he got a free ticket on a ship to go to Rome the capital of the world, and to spread the gospel there. And he was just excited, despite the fact he was in chains. Uh, the third one was Philippians contains the famous love chapter used at many weddings. That's false. Uh, although, uh, and 45% of you correctly chose that one as the false answer. That means over half of you chose that as true, so I'm not going to say anything more. Philippians 2 contains an early Christian hymn, and that is true, okay? And most of y'all were right on that. And that is the one that begins uh, talking about Jesus emptied himself and became as a man. And uh, that whole section there is actually believed to have been an early Christian poem or hymn. And it's a beautiful section of Philippians. But I thought I'd share that with you just uh, as, as we begin this morning. Uh, in the few moments that I had, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the Scouts because I think that this passage this morning in Philippians really fits in well with Scout Sunday because Paul kind of has the attitude of what a Scout should have. He, he talks about pressing on. He talks about leaving all this stuff behind him and pressing on to this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's really what scouting is about. Sometimes we talk about, you know, the Eagle Scout is the highest rank that you can attain as you move up through the different levels of scouting. And people talk about flying like an eagle. And really, when you read Paul, this is what he wants to do in life. He wants to leave behind all the things that have held him down, and he wants to be able to fly like that eagle. I never made it to eagle. I got to life. That happens to a lot of us. There are three enemies to the journey to Eagle. Three things that, you know, it's like a video game where the guy's trying to get to a certain place, but there's things along the way they're going to trip him up, and he's got to somehow figure out a way to get, get through that. And in no particular order, I'm going to tell you, they are girls, cars, and sports. Those three things trip you up. And all three of them hit me the same year. So I didn't, I didn't get on. Lydia was my problem. I didn't get to Eagle because of Lydia. I have blamed her, and I'm confessing that to you now forever. And at the same time, I got my driver's license. And I was so heavily involved in sports that I just, you know, I lost the time. And I came back later and became a scoutmaster. And I loved the scouts, and I loved uh, everything up to that. But I didn't quite attain 
that high calling. But you know, that's okay. Because scouts was still a wonderful experience for me. And not all of us are going to be able to fly like eagles as Christians. Some of us, we're just going to barely uh, crawl along. And, uh, and God's okay with that. As long as our faith is in Him and our, and our eyes are on Him, He's going to uh, be with us uh, in those times of weakness. Uh, I was thinking this week also about the scouts and the Lincoln Trail. Anybody know the Lincoln Trail in D.C.? There's actually a number of Lincoln Trails across the country. But the scouts uh, create these things, and I think they usually do it with uh, uh, other uh, uh, groups, uh, civic groups like the Ruritans or someone might help them uh, with that trail. But back uh, living uh, just outside of D.C. Uh, in northern Virginia, uh, we did the Lincoln Trail in D.C. where you went to Ford's Theater and, and you went to the uh, Patterson House where, uh, uh, or the Peterson House where uh, Lincoln actually died and you go to the Lincoln Memorial and you walk all around D.C. a number of miles. It takes, takes a full day to do this trail and you get a medal at the end of it. You, they had a beautiful medal that you would get for that. And so our, so our troop did that. But I was thinking about Lincoln and I was, I was thinking about his Gettysburg Address. I mean, I love Abraham Lincoln. Yes, he was a Yankee. Yes, he was, you know, president of the Union. But I'll put all that aside, being a Virginian, and I'll say uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, was, uh, at the time he was president, you just have to believe that God was looking out for us. Because the situation in the country was such that... Uh, this country could have easily uh, never risen up. In fact, I would tell you, if, if you took, had taken a poll of people, if that was possible back then, an instant Internet poll of people in the North and the South, the vast majority of, majority of them would have thought that the United States would never be united again. Uh, by the time you get to Gettysburg, people are very pessimistic. Lincoln is in danger of losing the election in '64. A former, uh, uh, or a general in the Union Army is actually running against him, McClellan. Things are a bad, bad point. And Lincoln stands up. The, the, the speaker who spoke before him spoke for two hours. Everett, a very famous orator. And everybody had come to hear his address. And Lincoln gets up and speaks in ten sentences. Okay? A couple minutes. And he's done. And yet the Everett recognized and would later write that in those ten sentences, he so far surpassed his own two-hour speech and what he said. And it's because he really hit on some things there that are... And I'm looking for my little notes on that. That's why I'm fluttering around here looking, and I can't find it in all two. But that's okay. I'll just do it. I'll do it from memory here which is always a chancy thing when you're at my age. Okay, it's probably sitting down in the copier. But anyways, uh, Lincoln, in those ten sentences, does something amazing. First of all, he reminds us of where we came from. Four score, seven years ago. You know, our, our forefathers set on, on this continent, I'm just going to paraphrase here, forth on this continent, and what he's saying is an experiment. Whether or not a people who are formed in this way, in liberty and in freedom, with self-determination, whether or not they can continue their experiment on this earth 
for any number of years. Can this actually work? And lo and behold, for four score and seven years, it had worked until the war broke out. And now he's in this place and he talks about what was sacrificed in this place. Why we have gathered here. And the question for us is, the lives that were sacrificed here, were they sacrificed in vain? And then he says something that's remarkable. Standing on that battlefield where just months before, tens of thousands had lost their lives. He says, can a new birth of freedom come forth? He saw, through what was sacrificed there, the opportunity for something new to come forth. Something mightier and greater than what had been there before. And I don't think hardly anybody in that country saw it that way. Nobody could see that opportunity that, that, that somehow God, through this, was going to do something mighty Mightier and better than what had come before. And when I read Philippians 3, and I'm reading Paul here, I'm thinking, the guy is in prison. Much of the church, the Philippian church he's writing to, he's writing to him in part to say to him, it's okay. God is doing something in this. He's giving me opportunity in this, and out of this imprisonment, and eventually his martyrdom, he would be executed. God's will is going to be done The gospel will be spread, the church will grow, and Christians will have an impact on this world that no other group of people have ever had or ever will have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He believed that. That's amazing statements Paul is making here. I can't imagine the faith that it took for him to believe this. And, and, and here's something else that he said, because I think a lot of us are tripped up by our past, and that's, that's why I wanted to talk about not letting your past define you. Paul had a pretty checkered past. In some ways, he had things he could brag about, things he could glory in. I mean, he was a Hebrew among the Hebrews. When it came to the law, he kept the law more faithfully than anybody He talked about his education, about about he he was educated at the finest school, Gamaliel School in in, in Jerusalem. He talks about all these things that he has in his past. But also along with that, he was a persecutor of the church. He put people in chains. He watched as people died for their faith. He said, now I'm going to set all that aside, forgetting all that, treating it as garbage, literally as dung, as manure. All that, I'm I'm, I'm just putting away. I'm going to turn my eyes on Jesus Christ, and I'm going to press on to that glorious reward that waits for me. Now, this is a combination of several passages where he's giving the same message here. But that sums up Paul's attitude. I don't let, I throw off the weight that has encumbered me and I run the race, he will say in another place. I don't let these things slow me down. I don't let them hold me back. And we as a church, sometimes churches are so encumbered by their past and so encumbered by the idea that we haven't been able to do things in the past and we won't be able to do anything in the future. Or things are looking so bad as Lincoln stood there in the midst of the Civil War on that battlefield 
with the fresh graves all around him and he was able to say there's going to be a new birth of freedom. The church needs to let go of what was past and move forward to where God is leading them and keep our eyes on that prize. And we as individuals, oh, this past week, a young man, he's not so young anymore, I'm sure. To me, he's a young man. He, he may be around 40 now. But I knew him uh, 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 some years ago. It was about 10 years ago that I last saw him. And he had called the church and left a message with Jennifer. He would like to talk to me. And I recognized his name immediately. And I, I wondered what was going on. I hoped everything was okay. I, after a couple of times trying to call him, I finally got through. And we talked for a little while. And I'm going to tell you this young man's story. Uh, back uh, before I was here, when I was an associate in another church, I went on a mission trip. I think this church also had mission trips down to the same area after, uh, after Hurricane Katrina uh, down to uh, uh, Mississippi. It may have been Katrina. I don't know. There's so many hurricanes nowadays, it's hard to keep track of which ones. But we had gone down to Mississippi. And this young man... Uh, was a new acquaintance and just said, Mike, Mike, how would you like to go on this mission trip? Now, he had never done anything like that. He had never been part of a church. He was a young man without a uh, high school degree. He's never even gotten his GED. He was a young man with troubles, with addiction troubles. And he, he, he had a lot of obstacles in his life. He had a little girl who this year is graduating from high school, and an ex-wife. He didn't have much hope in his life that his life was ever going to amount to anything. So he goes on this mission trip, and in one week, this is the power of missions. Larry and Fred, everybody here who has gone on a mission trip. One week on that mission trip down in Mississippi, and he says to me, I want to be baptized. I want to confess my faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we traveled back to Virginia, that church the next Sunday, he was baptized. He had a problem with his brother. He and his brother hadn't spoken to each other in years. They literally hated each other, according to his description. But after he was baptized, the first thing he did that Sunday afternoon was go to see his brother. And he was so happy, he let me know that he had talked with his brother and that they had hugged and it was okay. Everything was good. He was so excited to be that new Christian who suddenly he was seeing the power of God to reconcile lives and to bring them back together. So happy. The next day I get a call. And he says, my brother died today. One of those stories I'm sitting there going, yeah, this really happened, right? But it did. His brother died the next day in an industrial accident. He was crushed by a, uh, by a vehicle backing up over him. Mike wanted to know if I would do uh, the funeral for his brother. So uh, Mike and that faith kept him going through that. Mike and his relationship to the church, to pastors, kept him going. But Mike's life still wasn't easy. And that's one of the problems nowadays, I think, in the church in our message, is we give off the idea that 
if you come to Christ, everything is going to be smooth sailing after that. You know, you're going to be wealthy, you'll never be sick again, everything's going to be great. That's not true. Look at Paul. Paul was beaten, thrown in prison. He had all kinds of what we would call problems, which he saw as opportunities God was giving him to be a witness to his faith in Jesus Christ. And so after I left to come here, I hadn't seen Mike in all these years. And he called me and he said, uh, or I called him and he said, Bob, he said, I just called you because it hadn't been the same, you know, since you left, since Greg left, since, you know, the church is, it's not the same. I tried going there at Christmas and it just wasn't the same. And my life, I need, I need God. And I, you know, and so we talked for a long time and I told him about the ministry here and I told him about Al 7. And I said, now I know that there are churches like that down in the Tidewater area that you can find, and I'll help you find that church. And I'm going to be going down here in, in, in a few weeks. I'll be going down to Portsmouth to do a little work. I'm going to take a day and do some work on my daughter's house, uh, which they're preparing to, to sell while they're driving all over the country. And uh, I said, Mike, would you like to spend the day with me that day? So we're going to spend the day working together. Mike has a lot of past that threatens to weigh him down. But he still has faith that Jesus Christ can lift him out of this. He tried to commit suicide one time and I was there. And I won't even go into that story. It's a crazy story. He's had so much going against him, but he hasn't given up hope and his faith is still there. And I believe that God will bring him through this as long as he presses on with his faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't know what your stories are this morning. I'm running out of uh, time to tell all my stories here that I, w- that I would love to tell you about the times I have seen people who, through Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, by the strength of that Spirit, have overcome obstacles in their lives. And you may, uh, somebody the other day uh, was uh, telling me that they just didn't think they had anything left. They're not in this church, uh, but had anything left to give to anybody. Because of their age, I'm going to tell you what, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if, what your circumstances are, you always have something to give. And I am most thankful for those things that people would call little things that people do in the church. Because those little things mount up to big things. So whatever your past, whatever you feel are your inabilities now, whatever the things that are, are preventing you from serving God... Put them all away. Forget about them. Turn to God and say, Lord, this day, how can I be your instrument? Like Paul, how can I have the faith to believe that you still have a purpose for me? One last little picture for you. Um, Has anybody here ever seen The Mission, the the movie The Mission with Robert De Niro? Uh, saw it years ago. It's, it's, it's a great movie. It's tough to watch at times, but it's about the uh, Spanish when they came into Central America back in the 1500s. They enslaved the indigenous people there. Uh, immense cruelty in order to mine gold and to make Spain rich. And there was a soldier, uh, a Spanish a soldier there, who eventually uh, began to question 
he was cruel. He would shoot, a, uh, he would shoot uh, one of the indigenous people as if they were just a, a fly to smash. He had a hard heart. But through a priest, he began to question his life. And eventually, in, in this very dramatic scene, he decides to take his armor, his, his, his soldier's apparel, to bundle it all up. This is heavy. There's armor here. And to walk miles to this river where there's a waterfall. He drags that along all the way to the waterfall's edge. And he throws it over the waterfall. He took all of his past, all those things he had done, all the things that he, he would think that God could never forgive him for, and he disposed it, treated it as garbage, threw it over that waterfall, and turned his life back to God. He begins to go to the native people to make amends. And I'm not going to tell you the story here. But the man sacrifices his life. For the sake of Jesus Christ. That's the story that sometimes we miss. And all the message nowadays that God wants you to be rich. Or God wants you to never be sick. We're missing the idea here that God is with us through all of our sufferings. And Paul actually says in this scripture, I not only want to know the power of the resurrection in my life, I also want to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's not a message that this world wants to hear today, but it is the message of the gospel. That whether in suffering or being well, Christ is with us. And this morning, if you, uh, if you have felt that your past somehow keeps you away from God, that somehow God doesn't want you anymore, that God doesn't see your value, your eternal worth, God does. He saw Paul, a man who had killed his people, and took him and turned him into something beautiful. He saw Peter who had denied Jesus Christ. And a few months later, God chooses him to proclaim the first gospel message. He saw Matthew who had cheated people as a tax collector. And he said, I want you to come and follow me. And I want you to do something. Folks, there's not a single person here that God will not take and make something beautiful out of. We're going to